when uh, Reagan, uh, President Reagan uh, became president, uh, the floor in the Oval Office was a, a wood simulated vinyl. Uh, and I thought, my gosh, that's that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, that that is a that's an obscenity. That's uh, that can't be. And so uh, we got involved with uh, uh, Nancy's uh, designer uh, and created that uh, Olaf's floor that that you see today. Uh, Welcome to ATWF, all things wood floor, brought to you by Wood Floor Business, where the great minds and hardwood flooring come together as the wood floor brilliant. Today, John Stern, Louisville Wood Floors, Louisville, Kentucky, about 50 years experience in our industry, a leading expert in the field of ornamental or mosaic floors and parquets. Uh, He's a developer and designer of many of the ornate material that we see out there in the field today. Uh, this gentleman's going to talk about when he worked in the White House, how many times he worked in the White House, and where he's working today. John's knowledge and expertise is flooring history. So welcome to this episode of All Things Wood Floor, and let's get to it. All right, John Stern from Louisville Wood Floors. Welcome to All Things Wood Floor. Glad to be here, Steve. You know what? Uh, we've been doing this for, I don't know, a year or so now or something. And it, it, being in the industry 40 years, the, the cool part is people like you pop up that I've, I know your work, I know all about it, never met you. And it's almost like a Hall of Fame for me. I get a chance to make a little tour and meet people that you're one of those people like a Howard Brickman or other people we spoke with that have made an impact on this industry going back probably before my very first NWFA manual. How, go back to where it all started for you and then give me where Louisville, Louisville Wood Floors comes in. Okay, uh, well, I probably have to go back to uh, 73. That's uh, 1973, not 1873. <laughs> uh, I came to Louisville. I was transferred within Olin Corporation, went to work for a uh, a, a company called Wood Mosaic Corp. Uh, they had just been bought by Olin's Olin Craft Wood Products subsidiary, and the president of the company was was hiring industrial engineers because that's what he was and that's what he knew best. And so I transferred within the corporation and came to Louisville. Actually, Derby Week of '73. I thought that this was going to work. Uh, Kentucky Derby. Uh, it might not be like this all the time, but it's a pretty nice introduction to Louisville, Kentucky. So I, I started out working, uh, doing project work for the president. Uh, one of the things he gave me was uh, take a look at their uh, flooring operation because while the company started uh, started out in the wood flooring business, uh, over the years it became a veneer and lumber company with flooring just a minor part of the operation and actually uh, losing money. So uh, I took a look uh, after a little while, submitted a report. He, uh, to paraphrase, but he didn't quite say this, but basically he implied you grew it, you chew it. Uh, I want you to take over the wood flooring operation and uh, see what you can do. And so that's what I did in uh, the st- beginning of uh, 74. Did that for approximately three years, had a great time, learned a totally new uh, business. Uh, and turn it around, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been around to tell this story. 
And uh, then uh, on one of a sales call, one of my sales calls to my uh, customer in San Antonio, San Antonio, Texas, the uh, Bose Carpet and Floors, Paul DeBose, he uh, surprised me and said, John, uh, why, why aren't you doing this for yourself? And and I had never thought about that. I always thought I'd be a corporate guy working for a, a large organization. And uh, But uh, it was uh, something that I thought, well, okay, I'll take a look. And what I did was I did a business plan and kept refining the plan, kept refining it till finally uh, it was either uh, forget about it or, or do something. So we implemented the plan. I left Wood Mosaic, had a wonderful three years stay with them and started Kentucky Wood Floors uh, in a rented uh, facility. Uh, we uh, uh, were uh, well received. Uh, I went out to some of the uh, uh, big, big players in the industry and said, hey, uh, I'd like you on my board of directors because I had never run a, a business uh, individually before. And I figured, boy, I could use some of their expertise. So we had a really outstanding board of directors, Virgil Hendricks uh, from St. Louis, uh, uh, Vaughn Brown from Dallas. Uh, you probably heard of those two, maybe uh, Jack Gillen from Cleveland, uh, uh, G uh, Gordon Frost from San Diego. And uh, they kept me straight uh, these first few years. Uh, we uh, uh, did pretty good. And basically, uh, we had that segment of the industry to ourselves, the upper end. And uh, did that uh, for, gee, until 2004, uh, at which time uh, sold the business to uh, uh, a local woodworking company. Uh, they were looking for a finish line, and we had just put one in, and and they uh, used that to go from the unfinished to the pre-finished market. Uh, they uh, wanted a, uh, a non-compete. I said, that's fine. Get me a contract. They did for uh, a year and a half or two years, perhaps, and I stayed on a little bit beyond that. And then uh, it was time to move on and left uh, Kentucky Wood Floors and started uh, Louisville Wood Floors, which I do on a part-time basis still today because I just enjoy doing that type of thing. Sure. The, um, you know, for those of the, that grew up with um, Oshkosh floors and other certain things like that, when I got into the NWFA in 1987, all the focus was on Kentucky wood floors. You were the, the Levi's jeans or the Coca-Cola of everything. It, if anybody spoke about any type of inlaid work or, or whatever it was, it was Kentucky. Everywhere you looked, it was Kentucky. Distributors had a hard time getting it because it was kind of exclusive. You had to really champion the line and get it out there. And if you did a trade show, it was your material that drew people right straight over to the booth. That's what people wanted to see. It was exciting. It really opens up. Was that about 1977-ish, I'm thinking? when? Well, uh, we started uh... – Kentucky with floors in uh, 1977. That's correct. Okay. So what? Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Steve, uh, the National Wood Flooring Association kicked off in '86. So okay. uh, in the very beginning, you're absolutely correct. Uh, I'm not saying we had a monopoly, but there was really no competition for many, many years, and it was uh, uh, certainly a nice condition to be in because we could do things that were innovative in terms of patterns in terms of wood species, especially those from other parts of the world, uh, in terms of 
merchandising uh, and marketing primarily through interior designers and architects because we were one of the first folks to believe that uh, through specification you could uh, generate uh, unique uh, floors and and above average profit margins. So uh, for many, many years, uh, uh, we did uh, have it to ourselves and it was, uh, it was a nice long run. Well, I'll tell you, our, our listeners are clearly easily around the world the, the brightest and most brilliant people in flooring. We know that. I promise them each week, or whenever we do these, there won't be any math on the exam, but we need a vocab test for this one because I, I think for anybody that understands the ins and outs or the, the what I call the floor language of hardwood flooring, got to go back to the beginning. We got some vocabulary terms people are going to have to know about, and we've already started hitting on some of them like when you talk about mosaic wood floors. There are mosaics in wood floors. There's parquetry, marquetry. Um, you taught me one thing was tessellation. Um, I, I picked up one from, um, uh, I think it was Tomarata in, in Tarja. Give me some of this from the history of where what you do goes way back. I don't think people totally understand when they see an, a Hayden Hall pattern or a Jeffersonian pattern. Tell us where it goes all the way back to and where it brings us up to. So maybe we can understand some of these terms. Well, the, the uh, really uh, gorgeous uh, parquetry floors originated in Europe. I, I, I couldn't begin to tell you when, but, but, but a long time ago. Uh, and uh, the American adaptation of parquet uh, really goes back to the very beginning of the uh, 1800s with Thomas Jefferson in that he was the uh, uh, ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to France before he became president. And while he was there, he he was a, a very cultured individual, a Renaissance man, if, if there ever was. And he came back to the United States and uh, built his house outside of Charlottesville, uh, it was uh, it was called Monticello, mm-hmm. and that was supposedly the first uh, uh, parquet floor in the United States. It was a 18 by 18 module composed of a 12 by 12 single piece center uh, with uh, three inch single miter pickets on the perimeter uh, in uh, beach and uh, American cherry. And uh, up until then, uh, wood flooring in the United States was was planks. Uh, uh, plank floors, uh, random width, uh, none of these round plugs that you see today, but square plugs, butterflies, or uh, to hold them together on on the sides. And uh, with with Jefferson, that was the birth of parquetry in the United States. And uh, that's that's the in a nutshell, that's the story. Uh, going from uh, the simple planks, the linear look to to the parquets, uh, many of the the European designs, uh, uh, Fontainebleau, or sometimes known as Versailles, uh, from the Palace of Versailles, uh, uh, Haddon Hall from a, a, a stately home in England, uh, uh, the Marie Antoinettes, the Britneys, the Bordeaux's, all those were uh, uh, European designs. And then we came along and through are uh, working closely with interior designers and sometimes architects, we ended up creating new designs because we were truly a custom house. Uh, all of the uh, uh, custom part of our product line was made to order. We we, we inventoried lumber, uh, basically four quarter uh, KD kiln dried lumber. And then uh, based upon 
what the uh, specifier, or in some cases the end user desired, we would create designs. And, and for example, uh, uh, the palace design uh, was first done for Leona Hemsley in New York for the Hemsley Palace Hotel. We liked the design, we put it in our product line. Uh, the Camelot design, we, we sponsored, uh, in those early years, we sponsored design competition, uh, a, a design competition at a local interior design school. And every year the, the students would come up with designs. And, and one of the designs one year was a design that we incorporated into our product line called Camelot. Uh, so we, we uh, utilized uh, existing designs and then we introduced uh, new designs. A lot of the uh, parquets, as we call them, were typically in square fashion, and they can be different sizes, but they have that marquetry on the in interior portion. Like wines, they're named after regions of countries in France or Europe, like you said, Bordeaux, et cetera. Um, and there is a little difference because when you make a mosaic, you're make, taking pieces of colored flooring in our situation and making pictures and designs. Parquetry is really designed squares of shapes and geometrics, if it were to have a like an, a deer or a trout in it, that would be different. That would be marquetry, which typically goes into veneers or into furnitures and things. And I think you had mentioned to me, I, I, um, tessellation is that where you, you take those pieces of, um, of wood and you put them into your design as geometric shapes? And then um, I, I don't know <clears throat> if I did it or somebody else did. Oh, you're but, brilliant. Uh, you gave me that. I wrote it down. I said, John told me what okay. tessellation. Well, but for, uh, for the kids at home, they're geometric shapes. You know, when you see those, the young, the, the young kids, they call it Qbert, that floor you can't look at because it either looks like the box is sinking in or the box is protruding out. And it's just, that's, <laughs> that's tessellation and it'll mess your head up. Um, and I've seen a yeah, lot well, of you're talking about a three, a three dimensional effect. Sure. Yeah. Uh, basically, I've always uh, <laughs> considered parquetry as flooring and marquetry as furniture. So True. that might be a differentiation right there. And of course, over the years, uh, uh, besides the parquetry, uh, uh, when somebody wanted something really unique for the perimeter of the room, uh, we came out with borders. Uh, they uh, years ago, uh, there were borders that was just an integral part of the upper end of the industry, but it died out, I think, due to uh, the high labor costs. So uh, the story of us getting into the borders, uh, one time an individual here in Louisville came to us. He had just taken out a radiator in an old house in old Louisville, and he needed to have this uh, border of maybe two lineal feet uh, created to fill in the space. And so that was the uh, genesis of, of our Buckingham border. And so we uh, reintroduced to the industry borders. And then uh, there were what I call accents, uh, where you want to put something perhaps in the center of an entry foyer. Uh, and, and so uh, accents, custom accents came into being, whether they were uh, geometric or free, free flowing. Uh, obviously, uh, the different wood species uh, creating the different uh, colors in, in uh, not just the parquetry, but the uh, borders and the accents as well. And then years later, uh, you had companies uh, coming out utilizing lasers or routers to create uh, very uh, curves uh, of all different uh, intricacies. So, so the industry uh, uh, developed and morphed into uh, something quite different from what it was when, uh, when, when, when I was introduced to it in the 
uh, in the uh, 70s when, uh, with the exception of a very small segment on the upper end, uh, wood flooring was a commodity. Uh, uh, when uh, the FDA came out and, and approved carpeting for uh, f financing, uh, wood flooring uh, took a, a from a from a just a you know maybe not a hundred percent of the floor covering in, in residential applications, but uh, it, it just took a huge dive and became a commodity. And it was uh, the market dictated the price. Uh, there was the hardwood market report out of Memphis that dictated what the manufacturers would sell the uh, product for. And uh, with the exception of this very small segment that uh, was uh, regenerated uh, back in the 70s through Kentucky Wood Floors. And that's why they invented pre-finished flooring. And a lot of that early work was parquets like that Bruce did or the old uh, H pattern, H block parquet, because the, the price and government regulation control couldn't control it because either the work you were doing or some form of pre-finished had no price regulation because it wasn't a commodity. So that's uh -huh. another thing. And then builders found out they could eliminate their floor guy and speed up if they could get a hold of this stuff. So you, you nailed it. 1954, I think, in Dalton, Georgia. It's always Dalton, Georgia. They found a way to make carpets flame resistant. So you had to, in a, if you got an FHA loan or you came back from the war, got an FHA loan, the house had to have hardwood because hardwood, although it will burn, it will smolder. And carpets would have went up like a Christmas tree. Well, they made them flame proof. They were cheap. They threw them over every carpet from 1954 to probably 1975. It was it was brutal. Did all of that affect the, the work that you did with Kentucky Woods and that type of work? We weren't in the commodity end of the business. Right. Uh, did. We, we did have uh, we did import uh, some parquet from Southeast Asia. Actually, it was a TCAD in Holland sold uh, containers of that. Uh, so that that was uh, on the other end of the spectrum, but that was a minor part of our business. The uh, uh, major, what we were known for, was the custom part, and and in that uh, there was there was uh, certainly in the beginnings there was no uh, in that there was no competition. Uh, the price was the price, and and actually the market we were uh, selling to uh, price was not an issue. They were looking for quality. They were looking for uniqueness, and if they wanted. Uh, uh, the commodity, uh, they weren't thinking in terms of Kentucky with floors. Back then, were was it all saw cuts and, and blade cuts? or um, Toward the end, was there any CNC or milling or Bridgeport or lathing done? No, no, no. no. Back then, uh, it yeah. was all saw cut. Uh, uh, that was way before uh, the, the lasers and the routers. I looked at some of the old, I have some of the old Kentucky Woods, you know, the NWFA would put together a binder and they'd ask everybody around the country to contribute and you'd fax them or mail them something. They'd photocopy it, stuff it in the next book. I have your the original like flyers and leaflets and, and pamphlets. And some of what, you know, you notice is the attention to detail in the work that you did also in the direction of the graining. You'd look and you'd see somebody today and they got... Oh, all right, it's a nice parquet, but do you know that three of these are quartered, one's rift, and, and two are plain sawn? And some of it, the detail that you had, you'd look and say, you know, they're even paying attention to the fleck and the graining. Is that all something that went into the, the process? Did you have to hand get all that material and say, you know, we need X amount of fully quartered? Or did that go through? Uh, actually, back then, uh, if you wanted uh, just plain, pure quarter sawn, you had to pick it out of rift and quartered lumber. I don't recall that back then uh, the lumber suppliers offered quartered only. So, uh, but most of the time people uh, 
weren't that sophisticated, if you could say uh, say it that way. Uh, they either bought plain sawn or they bought rift and quarter sawn. Uh, the one exception that I recall in the early days was uh, the White House. We did the, we did our first White House floor uh, in the summer of '78. We were barely we weren't even a year old at the time, but they were uh, they were wanting uh, if not 100% quarter sawn perhaps 90, 95% quarter sawn. So we had to pick the flake and the fleck out from the lumber. And, and they were, uh, that was what was in the, in, in the white house and that's what they wanted to replicate. And so we did that for the white house, but I don't recall that we did it that much for anybody else. You, they, you were uh, in the white house for a while, right? Like uh, up until 2006, yeah. seven, eight. Right yeah. We, uh, the first floor was 78 for uh, president Carter. Uh, the East Room, that was uh, uh, 3,200 feet of rift-and-quartered white oak uh, fountain blue in a very large module. Uh, and over the years, we uh, we considered ourselves a bipartisan flooring company in that we did floors for both Democrats and Republic Republicans. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we uh, ended up doing all the floors uh, uh, through 2006. Uh, and over that period of time, uh, they were very uh, particular about uh, the aesthetics of the floors, so they would replace them much more uh, frequently than, is, than, than I thought was really necessary, but they, they wanted perfect floors. So we ended up doing uh, the East Room twice, the Oval Office twice, and then all the other uh, main uh, floor uh, uh, floors one time, the red, the green, the blue, uh, the state dining room, the private dining room, a couple parlors on the lower level, How'd you get in the door? How, uh, but, how did it all? How did you get your first foot in the door? Well, the first the first time uh, we our distributor in in uh, D.C. was Cherokee Wholesalers, uh, the Lynn boys, uh, actually the father and uh, then the, the sons. And uh, at that time, we were an unknown. We were a relatively new kid on the block, but our bid through Cherokee was the low bid, and so. Uh, uh, perhaps people wondered if we could uh, pull it off, but indeed we did. And then uh, after that, uh, the White House, for whatever reason, wanted to deal with us on a direct basis uh, through the chief usher's office. And it was never a, a matter of uh, what's your price. It was here's what we want. And then we would submit a quote and they would come back with a purchase order. And uh, that was that. And so we were, it was a great run. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, if you're into history, uh, it was just a, a fun, fun, fun experience to uh, visit the White House, uh, sometimes when the floors were being installed, but uh, many times just uh, to have an excuse and, and tour and get, uh, get the history of the White House. It, so those are, uh, you see a lot of photos. When there's a photo op, that's always the Oval Office. Are those floors we see today, those iconic floors, those are the original Kentucky wood floors that you designed and worked with? Yeah, certainly the, the Oval Office, uh, uh, those are those are our originals. Uh, the red, the green, the blue, the state, the private, uh, all those are Kentucky wood floors. I, I heard that at some point in the Oval Office, they put vinyl floors or something in. in the, well, uh, when uh, Reagan... Uh, President Reagan uh, became president. Uh, the floor in the Oval Office was a, a wood simulated vinyl, uh, and I thought, my gosh, that's that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, that 
that is a, that's an obscenity. That's uh, that can't be. And so uh, we got involved with uh, uh, Nancy's uh, designer uh, and created that uh, Olaf's floor that that you see today, uh, uh, alternating uh, uh, rays of uh, walnut and uh, Rifton quarter white oak, uh, and then that uh, oval border on the perimeter. Wow. And that oval, uh, the oval border, I think is interesting uh, in that uh, we we had the uh, architectural drawing and then we blew it up and, and it actually laid out the border on the factory floor and then cut it uh, to fit that uh, uh, exact pattern because uh, uh, it would have been time prohibitive for that to be actually cut on site. Uh, when the president's out of the office, it's for a limited period of time, and uh, there was no way that that could have been done unless it was all pre-cut and numbered, and then went in uh, just one, two, three. What's the design process? Who who comes up with it, and then you sketch it and go? With well, it? Uh, you know, uh, the design process varies. It's, it's sort of uh, for every different type, every floor. Uh, like for the, the White House, office it was one better. for that particular the one. The whole office was a uh, floor that was created by Nancy's designer. It was, okay. Uh, he came up with that, and, and we executed uh, what he came up with. All the other White House floors were exact uh, reproductions of what, what had been there previously. Uh, the Oval Office being the one exception. Uh, other times, uh, other floors... Uh, sometimes the interior designers, the architects would uh, tell us what they wanted. They would actually create the designs themselves. And then other times they would ask us for ideas, uh, suggestions, and, and we would come up with that. I think one of the most interesting uh, floors we ever ever did, uh, and this was uh, uh, back uh, when, when uh, uh, right at the beginning of uh, the, the routers and the lasers, uh, Barbie Benton, uh, some of you folks might know of her from her days as Hugh Hebner's wife. Uh, she uh, came up with a design that incorporated, and she didn't consider walnut and cherry and uh, mahogany. Those were passe to, to her. She wanted really unique uh, wood species. So we were talking about snakeskin and, and, and just species that, that some of which I'd never heard of before. And so she came up with a drawing uh, uh, actually using crayons to show the different colors that you wanted. And then we uh, took those uh, crayon colors and, and, and sourced the different wood species. And it certainly was, uh, it went into the discotheque in her house in Aspen. And it was certainly one of the most unique floors we ever did uh, in, in, in that respect in terms of design. Hey, Woodfloor Pros, this is Kim Walgren, the longtime editor of Woodfloor Business. Make sure you are getting your own subscription to Woodfloor Business Magazine so you don't miss articles about longtime pros like today's guest, John Stern, as well as articles by up and coming pros who share their latest projects, including their step by step photos that explain how they pulled them off. Subscriptions to WFB are free for Woodfloor Pros around the world. Pros in the US and Canada can get a free print subscription and those in the rest of the world can sign up to receive the digital issue as soon as it's released. Just go to woodfloorbusiness.com and click on Magazine to subscribe. You know, I, for decades, we you know we go from way back when everybody around here just did red oak and white oak, and maybe you were lucky enough to get a border, and then some exotics came along, and then 
I always said, you know, when we finally learned these exotics, the, the three or four or five that there were, and, you know, Brazilian cherry, um, Santos mahogany, per, walnut, et cetera, we got it down pretty good. And then other companies came along in the 90s and, and recently, and anything red is cherry, anything golden is chestnut, anything brown is walnut, it's a disaster. But I used to say, who screwed this up? Because whoever set it up in the beginning had it right. I think that was you. I think you did it right in the very beginning. I think Kentucky was the first one to explain what the heck we were dealing with. Well, uh, we, uh, in the very beginning, uh, and I don't recall the exact year, but uh, we we actually went down to Brazil because the government was trying to encourage exports. So there was an expo in Sao Paulo, and uh, the Brazilian government or whatever part of the government invited us down there uh, to because they wanted to show us uh, these potential uh, exports. And uh, back then, nobody was bringing in product from Brazil. So uh, we went down there and we created a relationship with the mill. And uh, But I, at that time, I thought there was no way uh, uh, Americans, and, and no slight to Americans, but there was no way they were going to be able to pronounce Jataba. So we called it Brazilian cherry. And there was no way that I thought they would uh, figure out how to pronounce Ipe. And so we called that Brazilian walnut. And so, uh, unfortunately, I didn't trademark the names. But uh, today, when you talk about those two species, at least in the United States, uh, that's what they're called, Brazilian uh, cherry, Brazilian walnut. Uh, along the same lines, uh, we had a very good relationship with a mill in Mexico City. Uh, and uh, they had two species down there, uh, Salam and then Machichi. And so we call those uh, Mayan walnut. Uh, and Mayan cherry, and uh, uh, just to make it easier for uh, consumers to pronounce uh, the species. So we were, not only did we introduce uh, uh, patterns, uh, but also uh, uh, took the leap of faith and, and for variety and for proprietary species uh, went into uh, other, th other than domestic species. Did you get to go to these countries when you were sourcing this material? What's well, the... I, I, yeah. I like to travel internationally. And as far as I'm concerned, every country was either a potential vendor or a potential customer. So uh, we traveled uh, quite a bit, uh, not only to procure product. Uh, initially, uh, in the very beginning, uh, uh, Southeast Asia, specifically uh, Thailand and Bangkok, where we imported teak, uh, primarily the park, the Haddon Hall Parquet, but also a little bit of uh, plank. Uh, and then we ended up uh, bringing in product uh, from uh, Norway, uh, which was our, our floating floor, from Malaysia, which was our uh, low end uh, out of uh, rubber wood or uh, our parquet. Uh, and so, uh, and then of course, Brazil was our, our big uh, overseas supplier. And then in the process, when, when you travel, you, uh, if you make an effort, you can uh, sell product. So we would call on uh, the floor covering folks in, in different countries and ended up doing uh, quite a portfolio of uh, uh, notable installations uh, internationally. Uh, for example, the National Gallery in London, uh, the uh, uh, Mubarak in, in Egypt, President Mubarak. We ended up doing a, a wood floor for Yad Vashem in uh, uh, Jerusalem, uh, the Holocaust Museum, 
Uh, and so uh, not only were uh, foreign countries uh, vendors, they were also uh, potential customers. Uh, uh, I remember uh, we did uh, an architect in one of the, I can't recall his name actually, but an architect in London, in England, uh, that led to multiple jobs and then uh, uh, jobs in the Caribbean, uh, Jamaica, et cetera. And then actually one of our, uh, our one of our best markets was Japan, where we had a, a great relationship with a company called ABC Trading. And they did a marvelous job of generating specifications of, of significant floors all over uh, Japan. You know, we watch shows on like the History or Discovery Channel on logging and X-Men, et cetera. A lot of people here don't know anything about logging in the industry in like uh, overseas, like in Brazil. Is it is it a lot different? I mean, are the trees typically bigger, wider, stronger? Can you tell me a little bit about the forestry? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, when we started out, uh, it was all, all uh, new to us. And, and, and certainly over the years, there can, a case can be made for the uh, deforestation and the uh, the uh, destroying of uh, the Amazon rainforest, but we ended up with a vendor uh, who was very much into uh, 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 ecological and environmental logging. In fact, uh, on their concession, what they would do is they would take a census, an inventory of the trees, and they would uh, utilize that computer program not only for inventory purposes, but also uh, when to cut and then how to cut, what direction to fell the tree. And they had a nursery where they grew uh, from seeds, uh, replacement trees for everything they cut. They were very responsible in terms of their employees. They created a school and a church for their employees. And they were, uh, there were, I'm sure there were plenty of people. In fact, I just read a book recently that talked about the exact opposite of what this uh, company was, but they were responsible uh, uh, loggers and they took care of uh, uh, the forest in term, not just the, uh, the, the forest itself, but the people that worked at the forest. And of course they provided meaningful employment and a higher standard, standard of living uh, for the natives. So uh, I, I won't say that they were the, uh, Everybody was like them because I don't think they uh, many people were, but they were perhaps an exception to the rule. Were they using modern equipment? Uh, I would say yes, in ter especially in terms of the computer to uh, inventory what uh, their uh, logging would be in the forest. Uh, but they started out with a, a sawmill, and I don't know how sophisticated sawmills uh, were, uh, until perhaps more recently. And uh, I don't know that they had sophisticated, uh, uh, a sophisticated sawmill. Uh, and then eventually they actually put in a finish line as well. So they were, uh, the company was CMEX. Uh, they were uh, a wonderful uh, company to deal with. The uh, principals actually became very good friends of ours. Are the exotic species of trees, are they similar to oaks and maples or are they bigger, taller, wider? I think they're absolutely, older. Absolutely. They are, right? And when you would go to, when you go up to Amazon and see them log, uh, these trees were massive, yeah. uh, not just in, in uh, circumference or diameter, but in height. And when one of these trees would, would, would fall, it was like uh, an explosion. When the, when the tree hit the forest floor, there was, there was just a huge, uh, uh, noise, uh, explosion. 
And then uh, the uh, uh, debris would settle back down and it was quiet again. But uh, to see these trees logged was a true experience. Uh, uh, and, and to go up into the Amazon where, uh, where you could see this was, was, was certainly uh, unique experiences. Yeah, there's a there's a different symbiosis per tree. Somebody was sending me pictures from Brazil, and, and I said, "What are the little the, those little trees where you're reforesting?" And he said, "Well, I think it was a, a it might have been a mahogany, it could have been a Brazilian cherry." He said, "We plant two banana trees for each one of these. They're kind of symbiotic. One will shade the other as it's a sapling and grow." And they had they had a lot of reasons for it. They said, "You know, we don't just hack and go." All this has to be planned. These are very, very old trees. We can't take them all. And I, it was interesting because we do, you know, obviously forestry in the U.S. You're either talking, you know, quaking aspens, poplars, oaks, what are not maples, other things, and, and pines and Christmas tree forests. It is so different and so massive. It's, it's almost more similar to our sequoias that we have in California. Yeah, uh, the Amazon rainforest just huge, huge trees. And but but just like in the United States, if you don't eventually harvest them, they'll eventually die, and then there won't be any economic value, uh, which can be derived when they're responsibly logged at the appropriate time in their growth cycle. You know, when we put um, Brazilian cherry into the field, or we put pre-finished, especially in uh, dealer display racks we usually will coach them up a little bit and say monitor these because those trees are so old that they're nearly petrified and they have a lot of um when something becomes petrified it becomes silica it becomes stone um you can see cliffs on some oceans up in maine if you look closely they're not cliffs those are old prehistoric trees that have become petrified when you get brazilian cherry in a showroom you'd never know where that silica is and you'll get a call three four five years later and they'll say what are these white spots well, it's that coming through, and you never know where. The computers can't pick it up, and then there it is. So these trees are definitely yeah. different. Is the chemi is the chemistry of some of them, um, some people have said, you know, certain trees, when you cut them, you have to wear a respirator, you have to wear a mask. Are some of them a little more poisonous than others? Well, uh, we, the, 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 and I can't think of the species, but there are several species that would be harmful to our uh our employees when they milled them, and, and so we didn't we didn't do those species. But but what you're talking about with the Brazilian cherry is uh, uh, these little white spots that appear sometimes uh, quite some time after the installation, and and it, it, it's some kind of uh, uh, mineral that that migrates up to the surface. You don't see it uh, when you're uh, milling uh, the the or finishing the uh, in this case the Brazilian cherry. Uh, and it, it, it appears down the road, and really, it's nobody's fault. It's it's uh, it's God's fault, and uh, you, you really can't pinpoint anybody's responsibility. But luckily, that was that, that was, those those situations were few and far between. Uh, it was something that nobody really could explain initially, uh, but it was a, a it was not very often. I'd still like to know how the heck vinyl got into the White House. That, <laughs> I mean, how did oh, vinyl well, get? Vinyl, I'm going. I'm going. I'm digressing. What? How does vinyl get in the White House yeah, in 1982? Well, as I understand it, uh, before there was wood, there was this uh, wood simulated vinyl, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and then before that, there was cork. So uh, the old office went from cork in the I want to say the Roosevelt days to the vinyl uh, in uh, the uh, Nixon days, 
Uh, and uh, then at uh, some time uh, thereafter, uh, Nancy got everybody straight. She straightened everybody out. I'll, I'll tell you a story. We have a, a gentleman here. That, uh, he was probably second generation, and since then we've had his son and, the, and his grandkids. Uh, veteran floor pro, no doubt, and from the same area, probably did every floor in Nashville, New Hampshire. And he was coming in, he was on his fifth visit to this house. He had been there over the years, upstairs, downstairs, fur, you know, typical New England fur on the second floor, maple on the first floor, center boxed in with pine so you could cover it with a rug. You know, they knew how to spend their money and put it in the right places. And he had one left, it was a dining room, and he said, boy, I don't know if this is an old Bruce floor or what, but it's a wide plank oak with the big old pegs in it. And we're like, oh, good, you know, good for you. He goes, well, it's got bevels, so I'm, I'll go. It's, I'll deal with it. It was only 300 feet. He came back a few hours later. He was just spitting nickels. He said, I'm sanding my first pass going forward. They ripped the rug up and everything. It was filthy. And he said, there's this oak floor with the walnut pegs. And I go forward, and it smells, and it's burning. And he makes his back cut, and he's thinking, oh, it's maple. Oh, it's pure white. It's a sheet vinyl floor. With pegs, oh. <laughs> like you're saying, he he was so. so he was I go, hey, how's that third generation working for you? Oh my gosh! Oh, he was furious. I mean, that's ruined for me, Steve. Well, he, the worst thing is he he went to this lady who loves his work and said, oh, I don't know how I did this. I'm gonna rip all this out, and then they put a nice little floor in. But it was so filthy he couldn't tell it. It had, you know, like oh. tar paper laid over it, etc. When when you're working in the White House, I've spoke to other people that. Are working there even this afternoon there's usually security i know one guy he had to wait a long time to get in there did you go through that whole process well they you have to submit uh, uh identification uh, prior to the being cleared they clear you and then it's not a big deal to get in but i do remember uh, actually the first time we did the oval office uh actually my wife and i were there while they were installing it and she didn't know better, and she took out her camera and started taking pictures. And before she could take more than one or two shots, uh, a Secret Service individual came up to her and said, uh, I don't believe uh, you need to do that anymore. And and she was uh, she could take a hint, and she didn't take any more pictures. But she did get off a few shots, and but they didn't ask for the film or anything. So we're back in Louisville a day or two after that. And somehow word got out that uh, we had done the Oval Office or were doing the Oval Office. And they said, well, do you have any uh, photos? And, and uh, my wife said, well, I do. But I also, you know, have personal photos uh, from the rest of the trip. And I really don't want to give you the film. They were pretty insistent and they uh, 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 took the film and developed it and uh, uh, published the, the Oval Office for and underneath the, the the photo, it said a uh, photo by Sharon Stern, and they paid her $25. <laughs> and I, I don't, I'm pretty sure that the White House, never, the Secret Service never found out about that. Uh, but uh, no, there was definite security because they didn't want anybody to see where all the wires came up because they had, as I understand it, they have uh, uh, equipment or, or a system whereby they know where uh, people are within the White House at all uh, at all times, from I guess pressure sensitive uh, type of uh, system. Uh, so they were sensitive to that, and and uh, 
they did a thorough job of security, but that was one instance when they uh, uh, didn't do a hundred percent job. Oh no! Is the it, that that White House has been through some crazy reconstruction over decades? What were you working on? Plywood, plank, pond? what was the subfloor like? What was the installation setup like? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm certain that the subfloor was wood, uh, plywood, uh, and that we never got into. That was obviously something the installer. Uh, but to the best of my knowledge, that the, that sub those uh, plywood subfloors never needed to be replaced. It was just a matter of of replacing uh, uh, in the old office the vinyl in the uh, vinyl and cork actually because both of those came out, and then in the rest of the White House uh, directly to uh, glue glue down uh, or or nail down to the plywood subfloor. Did you ever, was there anything that you were allowed to take as like a memento from the project or anything? Uh, I, I have some scraps left over from what we cut in the, in the, in the factory, but uh, they were pretty particular because uh, their policy was that anything that was taken up, uh, they made sure went to the grinder uh, and uh, uh, any scrap that was left over, uh, I assume the stuff that they could use if they ever needed to, they kept that obviously in the, in the uh, uh, White House uh, in the basement, but uh, everything else, they, they it, it, the White House is not at all like what you have in, in Great Britain where a supplier to the uh, uh, king or queen, that's a coveted uh, public uh, recognition in, in the United States uh, in, in, with regards to the White House. Uh, 180 degrees from what they do in England. Tell me a little bit about, because um, I'm going to jump back a little bit on a couple of things, but tell me about your company today and what you're doing and maybe even compare it a little bit to the, the heydays of uh, Kentucky Wood Floors. Well, it, it's uh, Louisville Wood Floors is more, uh, I don't want to say it's a hobby because I uh, do it as requested, but it's much more of a part-time uh, operation where I source uh, product for d various customers, primarily in the United States, although uh, we currently have a floor that's going to uh, not uh, Panama City in Florida, but the country of Panama. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it's uh, not a full-time job by any stretch of the imagination. Louisville Floors uh, provides product for those that, uh, for whatever reason, they don't have the expertise or the knowledge of where where they can get the product or they don't have their smaller operation don't have the uh, personnel and that's where we, we fill a void and uh source and and, and provide product both uh, uh parquet and, and plank uh engineered uh solid uh, unfinished pre-finished uh, domestic species imported wood species you have a pre-finished line don't no no we outsource that outsource it. sure okay and on the um, the milling and the cutting, still old school, or are you doing CNC and the newer stuff, or is it? Uh, everything is uh, pretty much uh, saws. Uh, uh, if we need uh, CNC or laser, we uh, outsource all of that. So you make use of it if you need to, if if it's at, sure. if it's incorporated in the in the. It, the really, design. it's what the uh, customer uh, potential customer is looking for. You've been hanging in there a long time. What is your favorite part of all of this? You're in a whole other end of it from most people. Yeah, it, you know, it's just been a great ride. Uh, uh, 
it's it's the people for sure uh, at every level uh, other manufacturers uh, distributors uh, dealers installers uh, the unique individuals and then the uh, perhaps the creativity in terms of patterns in terms of species uh, and then dealing with uh, uh, the interior the specifiers the interior designers and the architects and and their uh, sometimes uh, uh, unique uh, uh, requirements but uh, you're, you're right Steve it's been a great run uh, and uh, in hindsight uh, I could have never envisioned uh, when I first started with with mosaic uh, in, in the flooring business in 74 that it would uh, end up being my life's uh, vocation you know I, I, I talked to people in all aspects of the Harvard flooring industry and almost none of them actually have any type of plans or designs on retirement, even though they talk about it. And you ask them all why, it's this endless loop of there's always another floor. <laughs> there's always another yeah. one somewhere, and it's always different. Well, they, say, they say that folks in our industry have sawdust in their veins. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's certainly an enjoyable and uh, uh, a unique industry uh, that uh, is providing product. Uh, uh, for a wide variety of applications, whether it be residential, commercial, or institutional. Uh, and, and every day is a different day. I think that's perhaps one of the things that makes it so enjoyable is uh, the days are not uh, the same. They're, uh, they're unique. I, I looked back at some old literature I had, and there was a reference in there to the um, ASID, which would be the um, the Society for Interior Design. And I believe, is it your citation pattern? It, it, it said, it might even have been on Wikipedia, it said uh, 1980 that you won an award for that pattern. Yeah, that uh, pattern, uh, it was a 36-inch uh, hexagon uh, that incorporated uh, burl, uh, walnut, and cortisone uh, uh, walnut, and then uh, uh, rift and cortisone white oak uh, on the perimeter. Uh, and it, uh, in 1980, you're correct, Steve, that was selected by the American Society of Interior Designers as the recipient of their International Product Design Award, which was a pretty neat experience uh, and certainly one of the uh, first uh, earlier floors that uh, that received that, uh, that acclaim. And you had one in 97 uh, that was... Um... No, 97, you were, weren't you the first to, we, we would start doing displays for product and nobody made displays. They made the sample boards. I think we used to get our display units from Kentucky. Uh, we, uh, we point of purchase displays uh, yes. were, were something that uh, I, I think we were one of the uh, original folks to get to create big displays because in the beginning, uh, if you found a wood flooring display in a showroom, it was small. Uh, certainly, in that wood was a small component of the total floor covering spectrum. But uh, we thought, well, if you can somehow uh, generate uh, a, a, a bigger display, it will co command more attention. And, and we needed a bigger display to showcase the variety of, of patterns and species. Uh, and so we did... Uh, we were the first folks to uh, put out uh, these big displays, in the, and and I, and I don't recall, but I think we maybe even charged like a thousand dollars for our 
uh, one of the big original displays, which was unheard of back then. Uh, and and uh, but what that did was that sort of uh, set the stage for the other manufacturers to follow suit and and uh, command uh, that would get a bigger portion of the showroom. And the same thing with the uh, the trade shows. Uh, most of the uh, wood flooring uh, booths at the trade shows uh, in Vegas or wherever it might be uh, were 10 by 10s. And so we started out uh, uh, very quickly with a 10 by 20 because we wanted to uh, make a, a bigger impression. And uh, I always remember one of the uh, unique experiences. Uh, uh, we were in Vegas for some, it was, uh, I don't know if it was an industry trade show or, or a specifier trade show. Uh, and this uh, this gentleman uh, comes up to our booth, and I recognize the face, but I couldn't place the name. And he looks at us for uh, a little while, and finally comes up to me, and he says, uh, I understand you guys are the Reggie Jackson of the wood flooring industry. And, of course, it turned out to be uh, Mr. October, and uh, we ended up doing uh, – not just a, a bunch of floors for his residence in California, but we also at that time had a millwork operation. So he did a, a staircase with a, a, a inlaid brass uh, a handrail. And he ended up being our uh, corporate, corporate spokesperson for two years. Uh, but that was one of the unique uh, uh, happenings at one of the trade shows. Uh, uh, subsequently, we, uh, another uh, uh, similar situation, uh, at least in terms of corporate spokes uh, uh, people. Uh, Mario Andretti uh, was building uh, his house in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. And we ended up doing a ton of floors for him and actually did a, through our millwork operation, a huge uh, dining room table in a very contemporary design. And he too uh, was our corporate spokesperson for two years. And he ended up uh, working a, a trade show for us in Vegas. And I'll never forget uh, our customers uh, would come to the booth and, and see him there. And uh, I won't say they genuflected, but uh, they were uh, very impressed that uh, Mar that they had the opportunity to interact with uh, Mario Andretti. You know, I, I, I studied art in high school and in college in Western Civ. And there there's artists... Um, from Lexington, North Carolina, I believe would be Bob Timberlake. Bob Timberlake yeah. studied, uh, it, it, when he was younger, he would watercolor paint and he saw his first Andrew Wyeth and he said, I, I have to be, that's what I want to be. He actually wound up collaborating with Wyeth and anybody who doesn't know, if, if you see a Wyeth painting, you'll know it's, it's a Wyeth painting. Also, Norman Rockwell, they came up through the same time. There was an affiliation I read on, online between Bob Timberlake and you. Yeah, we had a, a line that we called the Bob Timberlake Collection, and we paid a royalty uh, for being able to use his name. And likewise, uh, uh, in the uh, uh, toward the end, uh, around 2005, 2006, we entered into a, a, a relationship with Mount Vernon and came out with the Mount Vernon Collection, uh, which in, uh, was a collection of actually 10 different designs, all uh, taken from a design element, uh, whether it was furniture or part of the uh, building itself uh, from Mount Vernon. And uh, it was those types of experiences uh, that made uh, the run such a, an enjoyable run 
where you were uh, dealing with uh, uh, individuals and organizations that were just wonderful experiences. You know, before I get on to my quick fire questions and, and let you roll, and you're talking about your career, you know, past, present, future, and you're still in the game heavily. Um, from all of that, what do you um, take from it? What stands out? Uh, what keeps you in it today? Like, what are you maybe the most proud of? Uh, that's a good question, Steve. I, I think uh, creating the highlight uh, has to be creating or help uh, helping to create with the help of a lot of people, not just uh, employees, but also customers uh, and vendors, uh, Kentucky Wood Floors. Uh, it was uh, a, a unique opportunity uh, that uh, uh, sometimes uh, uh, you have to say timing or, or, or luck, whatever you want to call it, plays a, a major part in any decision you make. Uh, we just happen to be the right people at the right time uh, in an industry that was uh, receptive to change. Uh, sometimes the change was hard time uh, coming. Uh, for example, uh, the biggest example was at that time uh, in the uh, uh, the mid-70s, they were still selling strip on a board foot basis, which I thought was uh, a violation of, of, of truth in advertising. How can you uh, uh, feel comfortable with yourself when you won't even... Uh, be honest about, about what you're selling. So, so uh, over time, the industry changed. Uh, it was receptive to change, and we played a, a little bit of a part in, in 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 affecting that change. So, perhaps the creation of the company with a lot of help from a lot of people uh, was certainly one of the uh, things I look back on and 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 do appreciate that I had the opportunity. Uh, you know, we all speak really highly, like like you do, of the industry, what it's done for us, and we're still in it today. We're going to be in this a long time, I'm pretty sure. I am going to give you some rapid fire questions. The rules of the game are just answer them as briefly and quickly as you can, and I will let you roll. Are you ready for my quick fire questions, John Stern? Absolutely, fire away, Steve. All right, here we go. What's your biggest pet peeve in flooring? Uh. People that think uh, uh, vinyl simulated wood is an adequate floor. If you weren't in the wood flooring industry, what do you think you'd been doing? Uh, I, I, I can't imagine uh, doing anything but what uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to do. In, is there maybe one particular thing in, about being a wood floor pro that is the best thing? Uh Probably working with some of the people you just referenced. Uh, the industry has, uh, uh, in my experience, uh, just people that uh, uh, they might be competitors, but they're very friendly competitors. And they, they uh, overall, they want the success of the industry. Uh, because remember, uh, the wood flooring industry at one point in time was, was just uh, on a downward trend. And uh, over the years, it came back and came back in a, uh, rather, not as a commodity, but a specialty. So uh, that would be uh, that response. Gotcha. This is specially written for you. You only get one shot at this. I'm going to give you three exotic species of wood. I want you to go back and rank them for me of the least Janka hardness to the greatest. Well, and I'm going to say uh, I'm weird, too. No, I'm going to give you the three. Ipe, Jatapa, Santos, Mahogany. Say, say it again, please, Steve. Ipe. 
Uh, Santos, Ipe, Santos Mahogany, and Jataba. Uh, that's easy, Steve. That's a lob. Uh, Ipe, from harder to softer. Sure. Ipe, uh, uh, or Brazilian walnut, uh, uh, Jataba, Brazilian cherry, and then uh, Santos Mahogany. There you go. Do um, you have any just simple advice for newcomers? Uh, do, uh, if you're going to spend as much time as you're going to spend doing uh, your vocation, make sure it's something that you can love, uh, yeah. something that you can believe in, uh, because you spend way too much time not to uh, enjoy what you're doing. So uh, whatever you decide to do, and there obviously are many, many, many professions to choose from, uh, choose from one that you can love and choose from, if you can, choose one that has an ups. Up, up, uh, an uptick as opposed to a, a downward slide. You're in your house right now. You got any carpet anywhere on your property? I have absolutely no wall-to-wall carpet, uh, but we do have barrier rugs on on wood floors. No vinyl uh, under that carpet? Absolutely not. Uh, it's it's a it's a wood floor house. Uh, when we moved in, actually, uh, there was strip flooring and. We routed out a, a sizable oval for a, a custom accent in the foyer, and then we put uh, borders in several of the rooms, routed those in, because we were going to sand and refinish anyhow. Uh, that was my next question. Any mosaics, any then, borders, any parquet? I, I can tell you this, Steve. Uh, when we moved in, there was a vinyl floor in the kitchen. There was a checkerboard, uh, black and white, and so we ended up putting in a, a wood floor checkerboard uh, with a quartered white oak as the light and uh, uh, Brazilian walnut uh, as the dark. So um, I, I walk my talk. Uh, it's it's wood floors everywhere. Uh, when they make the Lifetime movie channel about your life and flooring, who plays you? What's the actor that plays you? Uh, I, I, I don't have a clue you, on you that. You can say uh, Tom Hanks. It's, we all, that's where we're going. Uh, Tom Hanks has better things to do. Uh, he's, he's pretty strong in, uh, in uh, uh, World War II movies. He makes another Mr. Rogers. He'll be playing you in the next daytime special. Trust me. John Stern, Louisville, Wood Floors. Thank you so much. Look at See how quick that went? Boom. There's over an hour right there. Wasn't painful, was Steve, it? Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for even uh, considering me uh, worthy of your time. You, you're Listen. You're uh, you're up there on Mount Rushmore with a lot of the other guys, and when I grow up, I want to be like you and Howard Brickman and a few other folks that I always talk about. <laughs> you're a mighty nice fellow. Thanks, Steve. We will talk again, John. Thank you very much for spending your time with me. For sure. All right. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Wood Floor. You can see photos from John Stern's presidential projects on our website. Just go to woodfloorbusiness.com and put John Stern into the search bar. And if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.